a mindset. And you can have a fleshly carnal mindset, or you can have a spiritual mindset, right? So the mind, this mind of the Spirit in you, not only different ways of thinking, but competing ways of thinking. This is important to understand. It's not just because you'll, you'll get this all the time with people you're talking to. Well, that's what you believe, and this is what I believe. It's not just okay to believe what you want. That's the fleshly mind. It's a mindset that is in direct opposition to every other thing that people come to conclusions on in the world today. How you might please yourself or how you might please the Spirit. The point is you cannot please both. And you notice the phrase, mind these things, verse 5, or set your mind or in the New Living Translation, it says, you're dominated by these thoughts. It's a phrase that suggests an orientation. In other words, it's not just a topic. It's not, he's not just saying, here's how you ought to think about that. He's saying, this is how you ought to think in life. It applies to every other, some people call it a grid. How you sort of lay things out. Some people call it a pattern. I like the illustration of a lens. The world looks at the Bible through the lens of their circumstance. So they're trying to see something that you're telling them about. They're trying to see what it is and understand. And they look at the Bible through the lens of their circumstance. That's their flesh. And so they're looking at this Word of God through the lens of their circumstance. And they say, it doesn't make sense to me. God hasn't done anything for me. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It doesn't apply to my circumstance and the list of things go on. And so when they look at things like questions, for example, about marriage, about sexuality, about, I mean, you name it, right? You, you name abortion, all the things that are out there in the world today. And they look at their circumstances and then they try to find something in the Word of God that fits what they see and it doesn't make sense to them. And they come not only to different conclusions, they come to opposing conclusions. That's why when you look at the same set of circumstances, you're looking at it through the Word of God. And you're, you're in the Bible and you have the Holy Spirit and you're looking at the circumstances of life through God's Word. And you come to not just different conclusions, you come to completely opposite conclusions about the exact same things that the world sees today. The point that Paul is making, though, even beyond that, is that you cannot hold to both. There is no way that you can accept the conclusions of the world and somehow justify it with what you find in the Word of God. They are opposing views. Paul's point is not that you're that way because of how you think. And uh, some people will say it this way. And you need to be better educated. You know, we need to educate you out of that. So we, we've got to educate you better. And they think that by educating you, you'll come to a different conclusion. It's not that you are this way because some Sunday school teacher taught you to think that way about that topic. You are this way because the Holy Spirit in you has brought you to a totally different conclusion. And no matter what the topic you'll have an opposing conclusion from the world because of the Holy Spirit in you. Paul's point is that you think the way you do because of the nature that's in you, 
And it's the age-old question, if you've ever heard this question, are you a sinner because you sin? Or do you sin because you're a sinner? The difference in that question is one is talking about the things you do, the way you behave. The other is talking about the very nature in you. We are sinners, not because I've done terribly bad things. We're sinners because of the nature in us. I was born with that. You were born with that too. And you might be a really good person. And you might be thinking with me on a lot of good topics. But if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you're still a sinner. And that by nature, not because of what you've done, but by your nature. And Paul is saying here that you're not a believer because you think better, because you act better. There's a different contrast, and it's because of the Holy Spirit, the very nature in you, the Holy Spirit. They're mutually exclusive. John chapter 3 answers the question this way. That which is born of the flesh is always forever the flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is always the Spirit. The one cannot do the other. They're mutually exclusive, and not only will you only please one or the other, you cannot please both. Consider this fleshly mindset, first of all, this fleshly mindset. And may I begin by saying, don't brush too broadly the unbeliever that you may know. As I read earlier, there are a lot of bad people that are half good, and there's a lot of good people that are half bad. So don't brush too broadly the mind of the unbeliever. I know, I've known good fathers who are not believers. I've known kind mothers. I've had some inspiring teachers in, in uh, university that inspired my thought and my thinking. And uh, they don't know the Lord. And the world is full of talented, even brilliant people who do not have this mindset. They do not mind the things of Christ. As a result, we would say, not that they're bad people, they simply don't think about godly things. They've never once in their life considered how what I do might please God. They're doing some wonderful things, but it's never been in relationship to God. Flesh is simply who you were before you got saved. That's your flesh. Who you were before you got saved. Flesh is not necessarily bad, like you'd think, boy, he's a murderer or he's a thief. He's a, a cusses like a sailor. None of those things. It's simply living without any consideration of your life in relationship to God. In fact, you can be a Christian and still be dominated by the flesh. As it says in verse 6, and you pointed out, the carnal mind. You can be a Christian, but your mindset is still fixed on the things of this world. The challenge, Colossians 3 tells us, is learn how to set your affection, your desires, your thoughts, your ambitions on things above, not on things of the earth. If your thoughts are governed by this sort of culture, can or this cancel culture that's out in the world today, 2 Peter tells us you walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, despise government, presumptuous, self-willed, and you speak evil of authority. That's 2 Peter chapter 2. So what is your, your grid? What is your lens? What is your mindset? Proverbs 16 says, there may be a way that seems right to a man, but the ways thereof end up where? In 
death. Be careful that you don't lose your spiritual perspective. Take your focus off the Lord in an attempt to be more culturally relevant. If you get caught up in what's going on around you, you might just become dominated by the world, fleshly minded. In direct opposition to that, consider then the spiritual mindset. The spiritual mindset. Romans 8, verse 5. But those that are after the Spirit, we pursue. We're under the control of the Holy Spirit, how we might please the Lord. In contrast to the carnal mindset, Romans 8, 6 goes on to say that, that uh, leads to death, the carnal mind. The spiritual mindset, look at it, the end of verse 6, leads to what? Do you see it? Carnal mind leads to death, but the spiritual mindset is what? Life and peace. Do you see that much in the world today? There's something lacking in the world today. Because they don't understand what we have to offer. They don't understand the mind of Christ. Whatever your description of the spiritual life may be, it must not be a sad, somber life of Sunday service saying prayers and scripture memory. Like that's all we can do as Christians. The Christian is full of life. The Christian is full of joy. The Christian is full of peace. And all of this is in direct opposition to what I see in the world and what you see in the world today. Remember what Jesus declared back in John 10. The way of the world is to kill and destroy. That's how they dominate. They want to dominate whatever it is they're involved in. The way of the world is to kill and destroy. In contrast, Jesus says, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The contrast is clear. The outcome could not be more dramatically different. Again, not just a good and bad, but from death to life, the flesh and the spirit. We pass from death, John said, we pass from death unto life. And we know this, by the way, do you know how we know this? Because we have love for the brethren. This goes to your concept of, of one another, right? So the, the initial way we know that we have the Spirit living in us is that we have this common love for one another. We don't work at the same place. Our families are different. We're not necessarily neighbors. But when we get together, there's something there. And what is that? That's the Holy Spirit in us. And that same Holy Spirit that's in me is in you. As a result, we're drawn together in love for one another. But let's explore a little bit further from the passage. Beyond that love for one another, what is the measure of this spirit in you? What's the measure? How do we know about this spirit in you? Verse 9 down through verse 11. And beginning with verse 9, there's another shift that takes place. He's been talking so far in this sort of third person. And beginning with verse 9, he makes it very personal. He's now in the second person. He's now talking to you. He's talking to me. How this applies to the reader to the believer, verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, then he's none of his. Instead of just talking about the truth, he's now applying it. The Holy Spirit provides for us a new comfort. Verse 9 is right there. It's in dwelling of the Holy Spirit. When you become a child of God, a Christian, a believer, however you sort of describe that, there's something called the baptism of the Spirit. 
Now that baptism, that phrase, baptism of the Spirit, is sometimes they go off on deep ends with it. But it is simply the knowledge that when I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, I have been given the Holy Spirit. And by this gift of the Holy Spirit, I am baptized into the body of Christ. That's what baptism means. There's no second work needed. It's automatic. It's simultaneous to your belief. Paul could not be clearer on this because he says right there, the verse 9, you can't be a believer if you don't have the Holy Spirit. So if you're saying, I want to be a believer, but I don't have the Holy Spirit, I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit, well then you're what? You're not a child of God. But I know that when I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I am immediately given the Holy Spirit. I am immediately a child of God. I don't have to wait for something else. And I'm placed into the body of Christ. Well, to be baptized is to be placed into something. You're placed in the body of Christ when you accept the Lord Jesus. The certainty of my salvation and yours is that the Spirit of the living God, and I want to focus on this word, is dwelling in you. You see it there in verse 9. Is dwelling in you. This word dwell, it's a beautiful term of familiarity. If you have another translation, it probably just says living. But it's, it's much deeper than just sort of existing. It's a, it's a term of familiarity. And so when you think about this word dwell, it's the idea of being at home. It's what you might call a dwelling place. An identifying mark of the believer is that the Holy Spirit is literally at home in your life. Have you ever been somewhere where you just felt uncomfortable? Right? I mean, the jokes they're telling, the stuff they're doing, it just, right? it just, makes, you, just makes you feel uncomfortable. An identifying mark of the believer is that the Holy Spirit is at home dwelling in our life. In this indwelling way, the Holy Spirit comforts you, is at home with you. Now, there are certainly times that we need to seek godly counsel. I have no question about that. Um, and so we, you know, we often will ask questions and we'll seek for counsel in many, many ways. But even then, the primary place of comfort for the questions of life that you face is in your own heart. And that confidence that comes by way of the Holy Spirit, convicting, helping you understand. Not only can I not convince you of your need for salvation, I cannot comfort you apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why I often say, it sounds sarcastic, but I, I will often say I'm not a counselor. I'm not a counselor, but if you need help and instruction and encouragement, I will talk to you about the circumstances of life, and I'll try to find the place, the point, the circumstance, something in your life that the Holy Spirit suddenly didn't feel comfortable in your life. How can we get back to that place? How can we find that place through the working of the Holy Spirit in your life that the Holy Spirit is comfortable again? The times you've likely struggled most and trusted least are those times when the Holy Spirit was not at home in your life. So the thing you've been going through and the way you've responded to it and the things you said, is the Holy Spirit comfortable with that? Or has the Holy Spirit been made uncomfortable? That's the question that Paul is presenting, the contrast he's presenting to us here. My dear friend, you will always doubt God most when he has no dwelling place in your heart. Another measure of the Holy Spirit in you is that he provides this uh, new control. Verse 10, 
And so if Christ be in you, the body is dead. So the body of sin that once controlled you, the flesh, apart from God, you have no other sort of choices. You're going to make the choices that best appeal to you. But the spirit in you is life because of righteousness. Without Christ, Ephesians tells us, other places, you know it to be true, you're already dead in your trespasses and sin. But here Paul is telling us that, yes, I was once dead in my trespasses and sin, but the focus of this verse is that now I am dead to sin. I'm no longer controlled by the sin nature. So sin no more reigns or rules over the affairs of my life. In contrast to the control of sin, and that by way of the old nature, Paul says you are now controlled by righteousness, and that's by way of the new nature. The Holy Spirit is life because of righteousness from Jesus Christ. You cannot deny the old nature. It's still there. But there is now a more powerful nature. Remember that competing nature that one that seeks domination, there's a more powerful nature in you. It's the Holy Spirit. It provides new life and peace. And while there may seem to be reasons in your life that you want to give up and you're so frustrated and sometimes angry and, and, and resentment builds up and all those things that happen, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians tells us to give us a little new perspective. It says this new life through the outward man, so we have, we have a new life, but, but through the outward man, it's still the flesh, it's still the, the old nature, and he says, we perish. And so there's a, a sense of damnation, if you will, condemnation upon everything that I'm attempting when I attempt it by the flesh. But he goes on to say, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, 16, he says, yet the inward man, that's the spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, the inward man is renewed day by day by day. Now, I'm all about keeping our body in the best shape possible. But I ask you a simple question. Which one of these will last forever? Your flesh or the spirit? The new nature or the old nature? Which one's going to last forever? Which one are you going to take with you? It's going to be around forever. I want to take care of the body, but which one is going to last forever? So then a simple question. Which one do you spend more time encouraging, taking care of? The flesh, the body, or the spirit? Well, David Jeremiah says some people have the Holy Spirit as a resident in their life, while other people have the Holy Spirit as president in their life. Until you recognize the Holy Spirit as being in control, you will always fail in the Christian life. You make it further than other people, but by the flesh, you'll always fail. You'll simply never know what you're missing in the Christian life until you come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And you nurture that and you encourage that. Don't make the mistake of muddling through this life without peace and joy. Literally, the excitement of being able to interact with the God of the universe through the Holy Spirit in your life. Well, the full and free life of the believer is found only in the power of of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also comforts, or, or I mentioned indwells you, controls you, this giving life to you. And also the Holy Spirit will uh, be with you on the journey of life and provide a new sense of confidence 
It's there in verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, then he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies. What power raised Christ from the dead? God. Resurrection. For Jesus Christ to be raised from the dead, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. God dispatched the Spirit to raise Jesus from the dead. It's the same Spirit that God dispatches to work in the circumstance of your life and mine. That's pretty powerful stuff. So we have a confidence through that. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit gives us assurance of deliverance from the old nature. It serves, it gives way to this mortal body of death. The Holy Spirit is your insurance policy, your down payment. I can be victorious over it. It's an earnest, if you will. You see it in other places. In 2 Corinthians 1, he says, the Holy Spirit establishes you, anoints you, seals you, is the earnest expectation of greater things to come. And all of this put together, he says, encourages your heart. 2 Corinthians 1. When you pray to the Father in the name of Jesus, the confidence you have is that the Holy Spirit is going to be personally involved in answering that question. The greatest expression of love, you know this, the greatest expression of love is when God the Father sent His Son to die on a cross for my sins. That's the greatest expression of love. And the greatest miracle of all is when God the Father sent the Holy Spirit to raise Jesus from the grave. And it's the same thing in the believer's life. The greatest miracle is still when a person puts their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result, God sends His Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Encourager, to come and dwell in you. By this same Spirit, Romans 6 says, We've been made indeed dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's past tense. And by this same Spirit, 1 Corinthians 15 says, We're dead indeed unto Christ, but we'll be raised incorruptible. We shall be changed. That great resurrection chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15. And then all along the way, Ephesians 2 says, You're quickened, made alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sin. But all along the way, He's giving you life and joy and peace and satisfaction. So the work of the Holy Spirit is past in the moment of your salvation. It is certainly present in the circumstance of your life. And there is a future resurrection from the dead. What more could you ask for? I know that in the past, He changed me. I know that in my present, He's working in the circumstances of my life. And I know that whether I live or die, I will be present with the Lord. And that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 John 5. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, right? And who does he send to answer the questions of your prayers? That's the Holy Spirit. If, as many do in a new year, you decided to, let's say, go on a diet. Sometimes we have those kind of New Year's resolutions. One thing will become abundantly clear. You can never out-exercise Bad nutrition. If you keep eating the way you eat, 
and keep living the way you live, but you're working hard now at it, right? You can never out-exercise bad habits of nutrition. And the same undeniable principle is true in the Christian life. More effort on your own simply cannot overcome those bad habits of your flesh. Or to borrow from that earlier illustration, you can never pedal fast enough or go far enough on your own, but what the flesh will still have a hold on you, a drag on your flesh. You want to change so desperately, but you just can't seem to find a way to do it. It's absurd to think that one sermon, one service, even one sacrifice on your own could offset the devil's influence for the rest of the week that you're going to go through. You may have confidence in your salvation. I'm glad for that. And I want that for you. I want you to have confidence in your salvation. You may even have confidence that when you die, I'll be in the presence of God. That's terrific. I want, to have, I want you to have that. I want to encourage that. But how do you gain the same kind of confidence that's on either extreme of your life? How do you gain that confidence in the daily routine and circumstances of life that you're going through? That's by nurturing the Holy Spirit that is in you. Now, you take any dietary illustration and you can apply it to this, this concept. Exercise alone will not change you. So you're reading your Bible more, you know, all those kind of things we start to do. Oh, this is a new year. I'm going to read my Bible every day. So we start to exercise. But exercise alone isn't going to change you. Once in a while won't make much difference. You fall back in the old patterns. You know how quickly that happens. So then we read books and we make, you know, resolutions, wishful thinking. Maybe we even go and have lunch at the gym. I don't know what difference that makes, but some people think that's really great because we're hanging out around really healthy people. So it makes me feel better about myself, right? But usually it only makes us feel guilty because... Compared to them, I'm, you know, I'm really out of shape. And compared to these books that I'm reading, I, I can never measure up. And I've really tried hard, but I always fall back. And as kind as it may be, even paying your pastor to work harder, it won't make much difference in your life. If you're on a diet, it demands personal change. Change in your habits, your lifestyle, and that word mindset. You have all the Holy Spirit you'll ever have. You have all the Holy Spirit you will ever have. But do you know the peace, the love, the joy, the satisfaction that comes in the Christian life and that through the power of the Holy Spirit? You have to nurture the Holy Spirit, not just on Sunday morning, but regular efforts in Bible reading, time spent in prayer, conversations about Jesus, the daily discipline of responding to the circumstances of your life in a way that you know the Holy Spirit would be comfortable with that. It's not a question of good and bad people, for as someone once famously said, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. 
It's a question of first, you hear me ask this all the time. It's a question first, do you know my Jesus? And then it's a question of what are you doing now to nurture the Holy Spirit that's in you? What are you doing to nurture the Holy Spirit that's in you? That next time you get really frustrated, and that next time you disappoint yourself, and that next time you realize I should have said that. The Holy Spirit has been made to feel uncomfortable in your life. I'm not a policeman. You have the Holy Spirit. Just ask yourself, is what I'm doing, what I'm thinking, what I'm about to say, would it please the Holy Spirit? There's your answer. Let's pray together.